What's up, everybody? It's Joe LaPuma. You are listening. You are watching the Complex Sneakers podcast. I am joined by my friend, Matt Welty. We're here, or two-thirds of the game. We're here. We're playing a man down again, but not fully. <laughs> not fully because, of course, our guy, Brendan Dunn, he is Skyping in from a remote location. He is not telling you where he is. We're somewhere. How you doing, buddy? I feel I feel good. You know, I'm on vacation, but I'm working. Always. And and. I could be anywhere in the world, and you, you're free to you're free to guess where I am in the world. But I'm here with you, and I appreciate that. We appreciate it. You know, the team is at full strength. We're on potentially we're on both coasts. You know, a home game and an away game. But we are we are here, and <laughs> we're here. <laughs> we're a lot of places at yeah. once. <laughs> How's it going? How is the weekend? How's everything going with you guys? I feel good. You know what? I'm I actually. You know what? I feel a little bit down. So. As alluded to, I'm shooting remotely. I can't be there with y'all in the studio. I'm traveling a little bit. I'm doing it in the safest way possible. I'm fully vaccinated. Two weeks have gone by. I'm masking up in the airports. But you know what? No, nobody's recognizing me in the mm. airport. You know, I, I don't know if it's because of the mask, but I used to go through the airport and get a couple, you know, a couple starstruck moments, a couple photos with fans. This time, nothing. And I was in a couple different airports. Well, it's tough. It's tough. When you have the mask on, maybe I don't know who who, who would you tough. be mistaken for? Who could this guy be mistaken for that they wouldn't <laughs> recognize him? Although everyone that you would have been mistaken for probably would have been more f- no shots, more famous, <laughs> right? <laughs> no shots, as if I'm going to be offended by the idea of somebody. I was going to say Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> but then no people yeah. would definitely be running up on you. But yes, the guy from Snowfall, also okay. an extra from Lord of the Rings. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Here so we go. <laughs> you are not in studio. I got back this weekend. We did the LA trip. We shot a bunch of episodes of sneaker shopping and we shot the season premiere, which actually is going to drop Monday morning, but also at the tail end in the fourth quarter okay. of the LA trip, I made a special visit. I made right on my promise to finally visit you made a pilgrimage project blitz. And let me tell you, it lived up to the hype. Ah, you checked it, it on It lived Drake? up to the hype so much that I went into the first room and it's like very new SBs. And I'm like, and Jordan 1s, to be honest. And I'm like, yeah. okay, this is cool. This is cool. I was like, oh, yeah. I wonder, because I always thought that there was like two locations or something. Yeah. So then in the first room, there's like four boxes of old SBs. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, here's the old SBs. Like, and they were okay. like, no, the old SBs are in the other room. And then I go into this other room and it's like, you know, the Closet. sound effect, like the uh, sound yeah. effect, man, what, what yeah, an yeah, experience, yeah. what an experience. I told Dre that I love shooting in stores when they're, the shoes are wrapped in plastic and you yeah. see very rare sneakers. There's something about shooting in stores and seeing the rare sneakers on the wall versus just looking Opening at it up. It's such a different vibe. Pulling yes. a box out, but blowing yes. the dust off the. Yes, and I told him I was like, and you again open it up, and it's that heavenly no. Exactly, and I told Dre, you know, I, he's opening a store. He said, but I was like, you got to keep this vibe as well because it's so it, it, it's a different feeling just opening up old boxes, blowing the dust off, and then of course you make it into the vault, and the stuff that he has in there 
Wow. Did did you shed a tear where you when you stood in the exact spot where Travis first put Nike SBs on his feet? <laughs> I didn't shed a tear, but there's a lot of history in that room. There's a lot of history. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. We can't say that's when Travis first put it's, SBs on his feet, right? It's a joke. Travis Scott was wearing a, SBs. It's a joke. That. He's being facetious. Okay, they'll run with that. So be careful. <laughs> okay. But so okay. much history in that room. And and <laughs> man, that just it's like it's a crazy we see you think to yourself sometimes i've seen every shoe that exists not when you go right. there not when you go there even some stuff that he couldn't show yeah did the did the scent of drake's cologne oh, still linger in stuff? the air <laughs> wealthy wealthy's wealthy's trolling but the vault was amazing <laughs> no shouts to dre shouts to dre have you you ever been I've, there? I've never been there because it's I don't even know where it is. I know it's in LA area, yeah. but it's not anywhere near. Obviously, I've known him for years. Yeah, we've hung out right? plenty of times. But you said you you Facetime Yachty in. Yes, I did because I told Yachty he has to go. Yachty would love that place, and and Dre and Yachty they walked the floor at Complex Con. But yeah. I was surprised that Yachty wasn't there. That is a place that Yachty would love. So uh, hopefully that happens soon when when Yachty's back in LA. But uh, great experience, great trip. Really excited about the season premiere of Sneaker Shopping. It's a good one that we've been chasing for a while. So Monday, no hints, but yeah. Looking forward to that. By the way, if, if you're listening to this or if you're watching this and you haven't consumed the episode with Dre, we're talking about Dre Lestina, Croatian style, owner of Project Blitz. So, so again, we have a back catalog of episodes. Some people who are just now seeing the yes. YouTube videos are maybe not familiar with all the stuff we've been doing in the past year and a half. Go watch the Croatian Styles video yes. with Dre. Go listen to the Croatia Styles episode with Dre. It's on there. You will learn about his sneaker history. Definitely. I, I had a little wild, <laughs> wild <laughs> weekend. Gonna, yeah, some housekeeping, <laughs> literally. Some literally, literally some housekeeping. <laughs> which, which part of it? So, <laughs> oh, this, this story. Is, I hope. I hope. Uh, Don, were you were you on the flight? Time. You were probably on the flight when you saw this story, but half awake. But go ahead. So <laughs> Saturday, Saturday, what the hell? Saturday happened? night, uh, I went out in Newark, New Jersey. You which, got iced again? No, okay. which which I'm known to do. I uh, went to a big, uh, <laughs> went to a big Portuguese dinner. Had a great time, and but I've been having an issue at my house uh, recently where there has been a mm -hmm. rat that has been going in and out at night. <laughs> not a mouse. Yeah, no. that's not a mouse. A rat. No, 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 no. A rat. Master splinter. I mean, everyone's at some point or another has seen a mouse, and you know, maybe makes you jump or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you see a rat, you're just like, that's it's yeah. disgusting. It's awful. <laughs> that's yeah, different. yeah, that's different. That's <laughs> yeah. definitely like, different. Like, like sleeping. Vermin. Like yeah, yeah, no, it creeps you out. Yeah, and I've been trying to catch the thing, and to no avail. Like it would, it would come, it would go, and I would never get it. it would disappear for like you know. How are you trying to catch it? Like, what type of booby so, traps are you setting up? What type of mouse hunt? Just put know, a spezzy a out box with some cheese and stuff. So I find, I finally, I got, I got the, I had, I had like the sticky traps and everything, but I finally got, I had a one of the big ass rat mm -hmm. traps, like okay. not the mouse traps, a rat trap, and I put peanut butter on it because I guess, wow. I guess that baits them in, and it was like four o'clock in the morning. I had come back okay. from a night out with 
my poor. No, 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 no. I am still. I know I didn't go. It was four o'clock in the morning when this occurred. <laughs> oh, okay. 4 a.m. Yeah, it was 4 a.m. in Newark. No, it's 4 a.m. in Jersey City when I'm. That's like a Drake, uh, Drake freestyle. 4 a.m. in Newark. Yeah, that, that's an awful one. <laughs> um, exactly, exactly. When I, when I, I'm, I'm asleep, mm-hmm. and I just hear a, and I was like, what's that? And I went back to bed, and then I, I wake up in the morning, and the rat trap had gone off. Wow. And there was blood on the floor. Oh. But I'm looking. I'm like, where is the where is it? And I guess it wasn't there. And then I look around the corner of my bathroom, and the thing, like, bled out all over my bathroom. It's laying in the corner. Oh, it looks like a murder scene. Wow. Like, it, it was, like, plastered. Everywhere it was disgusting. It was like the worst thing I've ever. That sounds like the worst had, thing had yes. to deal with. Um, okay. So now uh, I beat the rat somehow, and um, yeah, those rat bastards. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> we gotta get a. We gotta get a shirt. We gotta get do some complex uh, sneakers podcast merch. That's like I beat the rat <laughs> yeah. or like wealthy versus the rat. Speaking of merch, <laughs> yes, we do. Cook, cook up some graphics. I need somebody to submit some graphics. <laughs> Speaking of merch, I don't know if you could see it done. New complex sneakers podcast dad hat in white. I see it coming in crystal yeah, clear. So we got those. And are we selling those? I like it. I like the white on black. How we feeling? You didn't add. You didn't. I've been. I haven't been wearing hats lately, but it's a great hat. Okay, you're letting the the hair flourish. Yeah, yeah. Let it flow while it's still there. I, I can't. I I do like it, but but my thing is like, I need a fitted if if we're talking hats because my head is what, so big. A dad what, hat is, is just never okay. gonna fit. Who do you who you do know? you think has a bigger uh, fitted size, Brendan? You or Dave Matthews? I don't know. Dave Matthews is an eight. Dave wow, Dave Matthews um, is an, uh, size uh, is, eight. Is that true, Dave? <laughs> He's off-camera super producer Dave Matthews. I was going to say we should have people in the comments guess what my fitted size was. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe. Actually, no. I don't want to put a bounty out there for it because then I'll have people hassling <laughs> me in my DMs for months. But uh, feel free to guess what size fitted I wear. But even even fitteds, I haven't, haven't been on it for a well, hopefully, for long time, Hopefully so. these are available soon. Yes. People have been asking. And I do like – I've been I wore the black dad hat a ton, but I like the white one, especially for summer. You know? I think we could sell a couple thousand of those. Hey, I want I want to talk about something else that people have been asking about because I do want to give a brief update to the morning dove okay. situation on my fire escape back home. There are two new morning dove babies. And this is another way we can maybe get the audience involved is that I haven't named the new ones just yet. And I, I've seen them peeking out from underneath their mother on the nest there on my fire escape. So if we want to take some submissions in the comments or maybe you guys have you know some thematic names that we could give them. But I need names for the new morning dove babies okay. on my fire escape. Okay. Who's taking care of them while you're away? <laughs> the, their okay. mother is. I, they don't. Okay. They, they don't need too much. Um, too much input. This, guy, from this guy's acting like he's Mike. T- but I appreciate your concern and a genuine interest. He said he's acting like he's Mike Tyson on like the roof with the pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, so you got something good from our good friends at eBay? Absolutely. Every week we're giving away shoes. We had. P-Rod on the podcast, I've told this story before, special sauce in my hometown, the skate shop. I'm getting a pastrami sandwich at the Jewish deli next door. I look in the window and I see this shoe, the uh-huh. Zoom Air Elite. So you see the tongue, the Jumpman logo on P-Rod's first model. They were just sitting in the window. I go to special sauce. I go, there's no way you have any sizes left. And they actually had my size, a sneaker that I love that I think aged really well. And this week, 
The question of the week comes from the question of the week comes from Hawaii. Hunter Hellman, a good one. What's your most regrettable purchase? Yes. It's a good question. Who wants to go first? I got mine, but I'll I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it because I I, I was I was thinking, and I, it's it's one of those ones where you trick yourself into thinking, no, I've, I've made I've spent my money well over the years on sneakers, and then you realize, oh, there there are a couple clunkers. So the thing about buying sneakers is a lot of times I justify it to myself by saying, oh, you'll be able to resell this in a couple years and make a little bit of money, even if you decide you don't want the shoe. So I, I'm never that worried. But but one of the ones where this did not pan out was the 2014 Nike Shooting Stars Penny Pack. Okay. So it had the foam posit one with the stars yeah. on it, which was a big deal at the time. And then it had the little penny posit packaged in with there. So it was a two-shoe pack for $500. And foam posits were still pretty hot at the time. So I was pretty certain that this was not this was not something I bought for myself personally to wear. I just thought, you know, I'll resell it at some point. So $500. It's a big-ass box. I sat on it and sat on it. And at no point... Could I have ever really sold those for any money? I think I looked before this, and the last pair I saw that sold went for like three hundred dollars. Oosh! It's it that that gigantic box with those two shoes is still sitting in my closet. You know, still again the the little penny posit. Nobody wants that shoe in twenty twenty one. So that's that's definitely mine. Okay, no, nobody wanted that shoe even when it came out. Um, well, <laughs> fair. Uh, uh, this one. Kind of random, but the I don't I know I had told that story last week about those Air Max ninety fives that I was mm-hmm. extremely disappointed by. But I would say that besides that, one of the the cat puke ones. Yes, one of the disappointments that I had buying sneakers was Foot Locker used to have this catalog. Um, I think this is like two thousand and eight, where they would have it on the shelf, and you could like. It was like a stock locator catalog, but you could order shoes from it. And I was like really into Asics Gel Light threes at the at the time. This was before the shoe kind of blew up, and I had like three or four mm-hmm. pairs. And they had a gray and blue pair in there, but I didn't get to see the shoe in person. And I thought it was just going to be you know a mesh shoe with suede on the toe. It looked awesome, and then I finally get the sneakers mm-hmm. in hand, and it's. The world's worst new buck, and it wasn't mesh. It was like the ballistic nylon, like the super hard fabric, which I think is the worst material anyone can ever put on a sneaker. And just being so hyped to buy them through the catalog and everything and then not getting the product that I hoped. So let me down. All right. A Foot Locker Gel Light 3. (laughs) What'd you do with them? Uh, Wore them a couple times, and maybe I think I threw them away. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's not not that gel like three. Okay, mine were. Two. It's not a big investment. Like you didn't spend a bunch of money. I, yeah. I, I'm down five hundred dollars. Mine's you know? a little different, and it was two pairs. The Hender scheme Jordan fours. There's nothing wrong with that. I spent a lot of money on Hender scheme New Balances. You regret that, Joe? We were just talking about that. We were just talking about that before the Hender scheme Jordan fours. I bought the. Kind of like the cream colored yeah. one. And then I bought the black one. And it's not yeah. that I regret the purchase that much. It's just I never wore them. And I think Hender Scheme is supposed to be worn. They like change colors when you wear them a lot. And I never. Right. The I never leather wore gets them. a nice patina. Exactly. I never wore them consistently. So 
they just kind of sat and it's a commitment now to wear them to get them so like the materials age and then the black Jordan 4 Hender scheme there it goes it goes kind of the opposite wasn't of, the same exactly it goes the the other way it go it goes against what the Hender scheme should do yeah. but those were sitting they were super expensive they had a moment they definitely you got, had a moment. I remember that in the office. You were like losing your mind that there was going to be a black yes. Air Jordan yes. 4 Hender scheme. And then you got them in. NCB happy. had a pair too, I think. Yes, NCB wore them a lot. NCB, the <laughs> ultimate flex, had Hender scheme sandals, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when those Hender schemes came out because it was, it was so expensive. Yeah. And I think I actually bought my pair from Japan because you could save a couple hundred dollars if you bought them directly from Japan because retailers outside of Japan had them for like a thousand dollars retail you yeah. know but I think I got a pair for like 600 shipped after the the fees and things like that which I was pretty happy about and do you wear your new balances the new balance hunter schemes do you wear them ever um I wore them a decent amount and wealthy can attest to this or keep me honest if I'm lying but I, I wore them a decent amount you, when I first bought them you did I don't wear them too much anymore you did you know what's funny is I thought you were going to say your most regrettable purchase and I Remember this one, and I know we have spoken about it on multiple occasions. Is you bought? Oh yes, I know. Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. You bought a pair yes. of three hundred dollar made in USA, like Japan only, <laughs> New Balance, like thirteen hundreds that were all white, and you said you were going to wear them all summer, and you never wore the shoes. White leather New Balance thirteen hundreds with a reflective end. Yeah, and I was like, I'm just going to beat these up, <laughs> and I, yeah. I wore them once. <laughs> made in USA. Japan totally only fair. new balances. Yes, you're you're right. right about that. Well, three hundred dollars. Well, Hunter Hellman. Yeah, Hunter. These are on yeah. the way to you. Uh, make sure you check the eBay authenticity tag right here. Mm-hmm. You know they're legit. Enjoy these shoes. One of my favorites in the SB era. And congratulations! Every week we will be giving away a new shoe thanks to our partners. And and, and I want to clarify this too because people are still a little bit confused about how we're giving away these grails. Like Joe said, every week we're giving away a pair with eBay. We don't want the questions in the comments of the YouTube video or anywhere else. On Friday afternoon, we're going to send out a tweet from the Complex Sneakers account asking for fan-submitted questions to be asked of us on the air. And if we pick your question to ask on an episode, then we're going to give you a free pair of sneakers. So that's how it works. Not in the comments section, but just look for that tweet Friday afternoon from the Complex Sneakers account around like 3 p.m. Eastern usually. Keep those good questions coming. You have a chance to win some awesome sneakers. Well, let's get to the guest. All right, we got a big one today. Our guest on today's podcast has worked in footwear for over 20 years. Besides a brief stint at Converse as the director of lifestyle marketing, he clocked in 18 years at Adidas holding multiple positions and changed how sneaker endorsements were thought about forever. It was at the Three Stripes where he worked with the biggest names in pop culture and built out an unrivaled entertainment marketing strategy. During his time, he signed names like Beyonce, Pharrell, Pusha T, and more, but none were bigger than spearheading the partnership with Kanye West. It was then in 2013 that Wes signed on with Adidas and worked hand-in-hand with our guests to build the Yeezy brand into the billion-dollar company it is today. Before leaving Adidas, Wes believed in him so much he tapped him to be the general manager of the Yeezy brand. Going a step further, Wes once declared, John saved my life. As far as the guy behind the monumental deal, he is the one. 
Since leaving Adidas, he's joined Shopify, where he's looking to create magic once again by leading their creator and influencer program as the vice president of the division. We're excited to chop it up with friend of the Complex Sneakers podcast, John Wexler. Welcome, John. How are you? Wow. Thanks for that intro. It's amazing. Um, I'm doing well. And it's great to be here and great to see you guys on, uh, on my screen. Thanks so much for joining. We've been trying to get you. You're a busy, busy man. We've been trying to lock you down for a little bit, but we are so happy that you're joining us. Well, thanks. I appreciate the invite. John, everybody knows you, I I guess now as the Shopify guy, but before that you were the Adidas guy for so long. I want to go back to your childhood, first getting into sneakers. What what was it like for you as a young man growing up in Chicago? Which sneakers were you first paying attention to? Oh man, it's so funny. Uh, I think the campus was the first shoe I ever begged my parents to buy me. Um, But man, I I wore everything, Mm -hmm. you know. the reality, though, is the reason that I think I got into sneakers was because my brother, who was four years older than me, you know, back when I grew up, you got all the hand-me-downs. And my brother was this amazing basketball player. It was pre-AAU, but he was on a traveling team going around the country and all that as a you know, junior high and high oh, school wow. player. And so they were being uh, supplied with, with footwear from, I think at the time, it was actually New Balance, Nike. And when he played at Cornell, they were giving him Converse. So I was kind of getting all the in-game shoes that, because we were the same size and um, all that. So like all the stuff that's coming back now, it's kind of funny to see because like, uh, I think I was playing in the shoes that like James Worthy wore, which were those like New Balances with that gray sort of shade behind the end Mm -hmm. of the white end. Those were pretty dope. And uh, I played in like Nike Legends. If you remember those, like the predecessor to the Air Force One. And, uh, you know, we were playing in Air Force One. And then we were playing also in Pro Model, you know, because Run DMC was so infectious to my generation uh, when I was playing in high school. And so, you know, the Shelto, High Top, too, you know, the Pro Model. I got to ask you, too, because, you know, you are from Chicago. Again, we all know you as an Adidas guy, but... Do you remember how big Jordans hit the city when, when you were a young guy growing up there? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I was in seventh grade, so it was like a life changer for me. I remember where I was when the Bulls drafted him. Um, his kids went to my mom's nursery school, uh, Ravinia Nursery School, where she was a teacher and the director. So, um, And then his kids came up through the Park District program that I uh, participated in after I stopped playing basketball. So I stopped playing my sophomore year of high school, so I stopped, you know, being on the sneaker train officially through the team and had to go to the mall, you know, athletes, foot, foot locker and whatnot um, to pick up those great posters and all that amazing stuff from that era. And uh, that was when Pat Ewing was in the forum poster over New York city skyline, you know, that moment. Um, but yeah, it, 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 uh, it's funny how like that whole era is like front and center now again. I mean, shit. Um, but yeah, Sneakers has always been like this, this, this thing for me as a, as a constant touch point in my life. The influence that like Michael Jordan had, I remember the first time I met him, I was 16 years old. I was in Northbrook Court Mall, uh, which was like the shopping mall outside of Highland Park where like uh, weird science, that scene where they dumped the shakes on those kids' heads mm-hmm. is in that mall. And uh, this, this like <laughs> seven-year-old kid was running through the mall saying, Michael Jordan's here, Michael Jordan's here. And it was the year he broke his foot. So he was still not Michael Jordan yet. He was like Michael Jordan that could walk through Northbrook Court mm-hmm. without security, completely alone, to go to Mark Shale to get a suit. 
And uh, so me and my buddy, Danny Zamos, who I was walking through the mall with, walked up to him. And Danny used to rebound for Pete Myers at the local gym called Multiplex, where Pete would come and play pickup ball with all of us. And an assistant coach from North Carolina had just recruited my brother at the new university where he was, was coaching. So, you know, me and Danny name dropped as much as we could at Jordan. And he was actually really uh, conversational with us. It was pretty cool. You know, I dropped my brother's, the, the coach's name, Danny dropped P Myers. And he was like, you know, totally caught. It was cool. It was a nice moment in time. And now, obviously, you couldn't get within a thousand feet of him. <laughs> yeah. Wex, I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, your career at Adidas is based around working with artists and celebrities. But early on in the in the transition between that phase and actually getting your start in the footwear industry, you were kind of like a, a, a rap promoter. To, to some degree, working with artists like <laughs> Cypress Hill and, and De La Soul and getting one-to-one with all of them. And that's kind of how you transition into working with artists to a certain degree at the footwear brands. A little bit. Yeah. It, it, I mean, very much. Um, you're absolutely right. We, uh, My sophomore year of college, I called my brother and I was like, look, my, my, my turntables just got completely destroyed. I have no way of making money. And his very close friend, this guy named Ted Demi, who founded Young TV Raps. And Teddy, Teddy of Teddy's at the Roosevelt Hotel, you know, the bar Teddy's. His, his uh, girl at the time, who eventually married, was named Amanda Shear. And she managed Cypress Hill. So my brother was like, hey, I know Teddy and Amanda. And I was like, well, Cypress Hill's perfect for Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin's like the, the weed school and they're like the weed band. You know, like back then hip hop was like you had a singular lane and you stayed in it. You know, you know, it was like professional wrestling almost the way that they like waved a flag for whatever they were about, you know, backpack, smoking weed, gangster rap, all that. And uh, yeah, it, it was a fun moment in time. And then, you know, I'm still in touch with all those guys. Like uh, Paz came through town pre-COVID, obviously, for a De La Soul show and uh, checked in with him at his hotel just to say what's up. And, um, you know, rest in peace, fight dog and all that. But um the 90s were like a pivotal time, 1993, 92, 91, when all those like seminal groups came out, Wu-Tang, et cetera. And we were fortunate enough to link up with Cypress Hill, Funk Dubious, uh, Tropical Quest, De La Soul, and Souls of Mischief and put together some pretty kick-ass moments. Lost all of the money we we uh, put up on the first show, unfortunately, because uh, we didn't know <laughs> fuck all about what we were doing. But um, that seems to be uh, the quickest way to learn is to... Uh, bury yourself in debt to other people and then uh, get get uh, resourceful. So that was kind of what led to this career. Yeah. So then in 2000, you are growing up, you, you grew up in Chicago, you're around sneaker culture early on, then you go into promoting and you're pulling from all these different kind of industries. And then in 2000, you started Adidas. What was that first stint at Adidas like? It was, uh, it was, it was a really uh, incredible moment. Um, I got that job at Adidas because during my interview, I talked about how passionate I was for Tracy McGrady's style of play. And at the time, he was still like warming the bench for Toronto. Um, you know, it was Vince Carter's heyday. And uh, and I think that caught the attention of the guys I was in the interview with because they had a full plan for Tracy McGrady for the following year. So they were like, okay, this guy right. has a portfolio of expertise. He built his own business in the Midwest, wrapping all these companies, you know, had some hiccups along the way, like this concert promoting thing. Um, 
And yeah, and they gave me a, a shot. And so I would be in there every weekend just trying to like, I was the first guy there, last guy to leave. I was like a gym rat in the office without the gym, you know? And, uh, and yeah, and I just put it all out there and left on the field. And um, it was a real, it was really, it was my first sort of corporate job. So it was, there was a lot to learn as regards to like how to communicate with people and things of that nature. But um, the team and, and it was really, you know, sometimes you find lightning in a bottle. Um, that was one of those moments for sure. Kobe and Trace McGrady at and the same what moment. What were you doing at Adidas in the, in that first, first stint there? I was, um, I was like the reports guy. I was rounding up all the sell through data from like, like I started in November of 2000 and Kobe's shoe came out. Uh, the, the top 10, 2001 came out that he was either wearing it in the playoffs or it was kind of, I can't quite remember cause it was 20 years ago at this point. But I was doing a lot of data gather around that, forecasting what those shoes would uh, would do in potential sales to then give that to the factory, forecasting the overall basketball business, making sure all the sales reps had their samples, creating lists every Friday that would basically send out to the guys to say, you know, we have these five. Remember the mad handle? Tracy McGrady's first like yeah. unsignature signature shoe he wore in Orlando. Smoked at Foot Action, um, Foot Locker, all those places, like first TV ad, all that. Basically, my job was to make sure that I had all the information for that shoe because his first signature shoe was coming later. And we were going to use that data to inform our purchasing mm -hmm. decision. And, and the, the way I built credibility with the production planning team at Adidas was on that project in my first year. I'll never forget it. I went into the office of uh, Dave Trowbridge and Phil Chioka. Hopefully, those guys are watching. And um, old school Adidas folks. And... Uh, and, and told them, hey, we're going to need 72,000 pairs of this first colorway of this Trace McGrady shoe. So we need to start producing them because you can only make 20K per month, three months early. And they were like, you're fucking crazy. There's no way we're selling 72,000 pairs of this shoe. This is his first shoe out the gate. It's not going to happen. And sure enough, the forecast came in at 71,999 pairs from sales. Wow. And so from that point on, <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't exactly that, but you know, it was like in that absolute range of like, I was less than 1% off in either direction. Yeah. And so they were like, okay, you do your due diligence. We can trust you. And so from that point on, I had the sort of like the ability to walk into that room and, and talk to those guys about future risks we were going to take on other projects. Um, and yeah, it was, it, was a fun, it was a fun time. Like we, we had this crazy read and react program where we would like pre-press outsoles and uppers and wait for sales to come in and, and, and try to drive some extra units. It was, we could get crafty back then. It's a, it's a different business now, much more mature, for sure. Wex, you bring up Tracy McGrady, but you also just mentioned Kobe in 2001. Even in your Instagram recently, you brought out some Kobe samples. What was it like? Talk about that moment, Kobe to Adidas. And I think you, you brought out Kobe samples that were unreleased. But, but talk about that moment, because especially with all the chatter going on recently about the Kobe deal, and people talking about Adidas. What was that moment like and those releases? Oh, man. Um, it, it was, that was when I learned about uh, creating demand. And, you know, the, the, Co the first Kobe shoe, um, him wearing that shoe the season prior in the playoffs was a way to sort of create consumer demand. But then when the forecast came in from sales and, and what we did to adjust our actual, you know, forecast comes in actual order you place to create that sort of demand that is the game that is the sneaker industry these days um that was when i learned that project that process was was how to like 
always keep people coming back and wanting more. But at the same time, you know, with the Kobe 2, that shoe had a very sort of like different aesthetic for most people. And, and you know, to this day, people still call it what they call yeah. it. Obviously, you know, I was the guy out there presenting that to all the retailers. And, and based on which region you were in and Kobe's cachet, that was the response you were going to get from those stores because they knew that if he was associated with it, it would sell to the level that it sold. And sure enough, it did. But we definitely like didn't exactly grow that project in units, but because the dollars were different, it ended up being more, more, you know, gross value. But um, yeah, Kobe was really dynamic. We had some meetings with him that were pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, that was when Rob Palenka was managing him, Okay, which is crazy that yeah. Rob's like GM of the Lakers now. Yeah, it was fun. I remember the first phone call that I ever, back when I was in Adidas basketball, there was one phone Okay, for the whole team and it would ring. And I remember grabbing it for the first time. And it was Vanessa being like, Hey, there's this situation. Can someone come out? And I was like, Hey, Jimmy, you know, I was talking to Jimmy Gatto, who was in the team, you know, back then as well. And I was like, yo, Jimmy, Vanessa's on the phone. What do I do? And then he was like, Oh, I'll take it. And, you know, he wrapped with her, but it was cool to see like how close, um, the relationship was that you know back in 2000. I, Wex, I, I think one of the more interesting stints in your career in footwear is is that that brief time at Converse. So you, so you left Adidas for a couple of years, and you were at Converse. I think from 2004 to 2006. It it it, it kind of stands out on your resume. How, how did you end up leaving Adidas, and how did you end up coming back? So left Adidas because the opportunity that Converse offered was just so um such an opportunity for career growth, and I learned a lot. In those two years I was there, you know, Nike bought them in, I think, 02 or 03. And then I went out there in 04, mm-hmm. was out there until 06, in about two years. And uh, that's when I learned how to do proper marketing stuff. Like when I was at Adidas, we were in product. So we were like working with the design team and the mm-hmm. development team and saying, here's the price point, here's the consumer. Here's the things that influence them. And then they would go and do the work. And then we would bring that to retailers and share that content with them. And they would give us feedback and we'd bring it back and kind of orders would come in. At Converse, it was you sat over product and marketing. And so it was just a different structure. They also had a subsidiary model. Converse at that point had a licensee model. So just like totally different business operational, you know, back ends and um, you know, the Nike ownership as well. So I got glimpses into the Nike kitchen, We'd come out here quarterly to go meet with Eric Avar and um, Bruce Kilgore and um, a variety of other folks in the kitchen whose names escape me now. But yeah, it was, uh, and obviously I was in Portland for so many years. I had friends out here and through uh, coming back for one of those trips, I actually bumped into the guy who had given me my first job at Adidas. And he was like, why you, you know, what's going on? I was like, oh, you know, Converse is cool, but my family misses Portland, you know, get another kid out in Boston, but my family's really like, you know, we're all kind of like, feel like our lives are happening in Portland without us. And he was like, well, come back. And so just kind of the right. combo developed from there. Um, and then they put me into a more marketing capacity. So it was like, all right, now product, we're going to go straight marketing and really try to like move the needle for the brand. So Wex, 2006, you go back to adidas and you kind of grow into the position that you're in now like how did that all happen yeah well um i was interviewing both the nike and adidas and the adidas role was for like this incredible marketing position where you would be doing grassroots marketing across america with with different trucks in new york la and and, uh, chicago rolling up to parks offering up like products to kids, try-ons, 
um, we had these create this this whole experience, right? And then I was talking to Nike about going over there to work in the department that where they were set up at uh, I think it was called like Urban Product Director or something like that. And unfortunately, the Nike thing didn't go through. They uh, hired internally, and fortunately, the Adidas thing did go through, and um, and it went through much faster because of obviously the relationship that I built with those guys over time. And when I came back in, it was a we want you to get your feet wet in this marketing role because we have a bigger idea for you in the future. And, you know, let's see how this goes. So I spent about six months in that role. Um, just kind of like putting together marketing plans my first big project was, was uh, Las Vegas all-star weekend when we launched the NBA partnership at Adidas mm -hmm. and um, creating a, mm -hmm. a, a, a retail activation using the trucks as a hub to send kids into stores and, the, the amount of kids who went from these trucks to those stores and we had ways of proving that it was like an A to B situation was staggering. So they're like, okay, you get this shit. This is helpful. This is good. You're able to like drive kids to stores. You're able to create momentum for the brand at a, a time when, to be honest, Adidas didn't really have all that much momentum. Um, and so then about six months later, there was an opening for global uh, communications director for originals. And so that was the the role that kind of like evolved into the role that that took me into the entertainment job there, which was basically like creating ad campaigns, finding people we wanted to associate the brand with, um, any sort of like high impact conversation with uh, a marketing agency or, you know, whether it was Star Wars or, um, you know, entertainment base or, or celebrity base. So, so Wex, you're building, you're building, you're building <laughs> and you talked about working with these celebrities and then 2013 Kanye West. And we all know about you signing Kanye West in 2013, but I want to go back to before that. Was it like, how did you hear that he may become available? How did you internally, were you like, we have to do whatever we can to get him. Take us back to right before signing him and how you went full force to get him. Um, so it's a pretty, it's, so I think I've shared this before and if not, I'll, I'll, I hope this doesn't get anyone in any trouble, but basically, um, Todd Krinsky gave me the alley-oop of my life. I know you guys know who Todd is for people yeah. who watch the show who are, who are like diehards. They probably know who he is, but for people who might get the sport of them, Todd Krinsky was running entertainment and sports marketing at Reebok and is, you know, a, a, a legendary prolific guy in the four industry. In my opinion, he's amazing. You know built his career from the ground up really, really kicks it. And, and so Todd called me and said, Hey, I went to junior high school with Shay Pope. Shay and I are in the office together today. And Shay is, you know, definitely giving me the impression that, that there's an opportunity here. And, you know, Reebok and Adidas were, were under the same umbrella by then. And so Todd and I were just talking it out and it was like, this one should be for us. So he, uh, connected with our, uh, CMO at the time and said, Hey, this came across. I'm giving it to John. Herman said, yes. And, uh, Todd gave me or gave Shay who gave Kanye my phone number. Cause at the time Kanye didn't even have a phone. Mm. So like his email signature said, Kanye West, no phones. He only used email. And so every time I get a call from a blocked ID caller, I picked it up, which I would never do today, obviously, but then I did. And it was him. And he was calling from Hawaii. Actually, you were, mm -hmm. or I know Complex had people out there. I don't know if yeah. any of you guys are out there. Yeah. But um, 
it was while he was recording Cruel Summer. And I remember talking about like, basically what we ended up doing in Cody was his vision for Hawaii in that moment, which was just, you know, mind blowing as far as like the guy having a vision and just really seeing it through. But yeah, so it started um, in 2012 and uh, took a full year and a half of my life to um, get to the point where we worked out all the details. And even on the day he signed it, he called me after and said, Hey, I want to change some stuff. And I was like, I, we, we both just signed it. So like, let's, let's keep it moving. He wanted to change the contract the day after he signed it. Well, he, he wanted to, he wanted to make some tweaks. And so obviously like when you're working with someone that creative, I mean, look at the product, right? Like the, like the shoes are constantly, like even the 500, right? Like they changed a little toe bumper and a stitch line to, because he's perfectionist constantly. Um, we weren't surprised by that, by the way, that he was like, hey, let's change this, change that. That was all good. And obviously there's been plenty of iterations on that, as you've seen with the contracts he's published from the record industry where he's made, you know, revision after revision. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting experience trying to get that across the line. And um, his first meeting came out to Germany uh, with Lior Cohn actually. And it was, uh, I remember that night, Lior was like, tomorrow I'm flying back to America and going truffle hunting with my other client. And I was like, oh, who's that? And he said, Jay-Z, have you heard of him? I'm like, yeah, I think I've heard of Jay-Z Lior. But um, yeah, and, uh, he, uh, it was a great night, man. We, we had a great meeting in Germany. We were talking to Kanye with the team around the table. And uh, we go to dinner that night. And at the end of the night, Lior writes up basically like a fake contract on a napkin. And it's like, I, Kanye West and Adidas, you know, it's like nice. And we all took a picture. I remember Kanye being like, John Wex is definitely in the building. And I was like, this is so surreal. Wow. Like, you know, like as we're taking the photo, I was just like, this is insane. And um, yeah, it was a great day. And then actually the next day I flew to, to the Brooklyn Nets launch. I think, John, I might've met you there. Mm-hmm. That might've been the day we actually met in person. I think you might've been there. It was a suite, Adidas had it yeah. at uh, Barclays Center. And I flew in from Germany and went right to the game. And we like got on a bus. I remember Ronnie being in the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. And uh, in any event, yeah, it was a whirlwind. That was, that was just like a crazy moment in time, man. And, uh, you know, and then six more years of my life went into that from moment of signing. And, uh, and yeah, crazy to think and, about. And one of the big early on moments, Wex, I think it was after the Yeezy, the Yeezy season show, You ha- they have that concert in the middle of New York City. It's like 20 it's degrees. Awesome. It's like 20 degrees outside. There's Kanye, I think uh, Big Sean, yes. Two Chains. They're was, all on they're, the whole Two Chains. I was there. Yeah, they're all on stage, designer. all wearing like the seven fifties together. Do you like remember like putting that moment together and thinking it would be iconic? Kanye put that together. What the, so that was that was an incredible moment in time for sure. That whole day was just like an, an iconic situation, and um, it was nuts because we had the, the the actual season one in the morning. And I, I won't say the executive's name, but he's from a large shoe store chain. And I remember him turning to the CMO of Adidas, who I was standing next to him being like, I don't know what you guys think you just did, but that doesn't speak to my customer at all. This was a complete waste of my time. Wow. Was it Dick Johnson? He said that about the Easy Season 1 show? <laughs> Wealthy's throwing names out. <laughs> That's who it was. Wasn't, I'm Drake, not, Drake, I, I'm wasn't not, Drake in the crowd? I'm not saying any names. Drake, Rihanna, Jay Z. Yeah, I think I think Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was on stage. And was that? Was it? There wasn't anyone. 
wasn't oh so i'm still talking about season one in the morning okay. the concert at night is kevin durant rock city classic yes so it's yes. actually a rock nation concert and we as adidas sponsored it to have risers there which of course because of the weather i mean to the point it was 20 degrees below but it was yes. also like fucking windy as crazy as ever yes. windy to get and so like they couldn't build the rafters because it was like a hazard so we had people stuffed in the 4040 room across the street yep. but in any event um my favorite part of that show was that during Yeezy season one, I was talking to John McGuire and, and the agreement that Kanye and I had struck was that we were going to live stream Yeezy season one to all these movie theaters and sell tickets in these movie theaters globally, which of course had right. never been done before. And of course was Kanye's idea because that's what he does. And um, obviously that was like a big clusterfuck for me internally because all the PR editors who were invited to the show were probably going to get pissed that they weren't getting exclusive access. And there was like a lot of drama around that. In any event, we did it. And then in, in, in reciprocity for that, Kanye was like, all right, we do this and I'm going to blow this up at the MTV movie awards. And then the night of the show, I'll do something on the screens for you guys to make you feel, you know, this is going to feel special. And so sure enough, I was talking to John McGuire during the setup for easy season one earlier in that day. And I was like, Hey, what are we doing on the screens? And John goes, oh, and he hits a button and sure enough, the screen goes to white and there's three black stripes and it shows the person through the stripes. So as you were watching that concert at the Kevin Durant Rock City Classic, you had Kanye and the whole good music team lighting up New York City and those three stripes big on the screens with like Kanye performing behind it. And so it was just like, Crazy. that was when... I was, I was like, I don't think that can be repeated, man. Like, and then we did season three and then this, that, like, it was just like never ending escalation. But like, when you're going through that at the moment, you're like, there's just no topping this, you know, it was just like spectacular. And by the way, about a mile away in Madison Square Garden, because that was a, uh, a Flatiron Park, Flatiron District, I think. Or at Madison Square Garden, Snoop and Dr. Yeah, Dre were yeah, having yeah. a reunion concert. Yeah. So me and my lawyer literally went from the, the the Rock City Classic to Madison Square Garden, and they kept sending us like seven blocks around the building because yeah. we kept going to the wrong entrance, and it was like freezing cold. Anyway, finally we said fuck it and just went to a bar across the street. But uh, the next morning, I remember walking outside of the Soho Grand, and I'm telling this buddy of mine from Adidas who, about the night before because he wasn't there. And I'm like, I'm so bummed that we didn't get into that Snoop Dr. Dre show. And this guy standing five feet in front of me as it turns around. And he goes, oh, that show was incredible. And it was Dave Chappelle. Oh, man. Because <laughs> it, it was the SNL 30th anniversary reunion that same wow. weekend. So, like, wow. all the guys were staying in our hotel. And, um, and so then we ended up hanging out with Chappelle. And, and uh, Corey gave us tickets to the show that night. We went and saw Chappelle. And, and Michael Shea opened for him. And Hannibal Burris was in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like... Michael Shea, Hannibal Burris, uh, Chappelle. Yeah, it was just like incredible, man. And uh, that was actually really funny too. I know I'm kind of like bloviating, sorry, but uh, funny story. First person I see when I get, this, this is a funny story. First person I see when I get to that, that Dave Chappelle show is Kanye's security guard, Pascal, at, at the time. Mm. He's got a new one now, but Pascal DVA. And so I'm like, oh shit, I guess they're here too. So then we go inside and it's standing room only, except this one area along the side where it's like seats. And that's for Kanye and Kim and their crew. And so then I see Tracy uh, win across the way, all the way across the hall, Tracy Romulus. And she's like, yo, and we're waving. And they wave us over. And so we go over there and security is immediately like, you are not coming up here. And Tracy's like, no, they're cool. They can come up here. So me and my lawyer and, and three of our friends get up there. 
And then Kanye and Kim, you know, that's where Kanye took the picture with the shoes off when he gave him the Chappelle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. in the red yes. room, which actually that photo was yeah. taken by Travis Scott, by the way. Wow. Travis took that photo. But um, <laughs> wow. but yeah, it's crazy shit, right? And so then Kanye and Kim come up and Justin Bieber's with them. I think Vic Mensa is with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Vic, I've known since he was like a 15-year-old because of Chicago. Like, yeah. like I was helping those kids sneak into Lollapalooza mm-hmm. when we had stuff backstage. And uh, it was all of them. And they're all saying, what's up to me? And security's looking at me like, who the fuck is this dude? Yeah. Like, why Why is this dude getting love from <laughs> any of these famous people? You know, he's just like this dork in classes. So anyway, um, it's just really funny, man. It was just like surreal. It was nonstop surreal stuff. My, my, my recollection of that is a little different. I didn't have quite the star-studded um, experience you'd have, but I, re- I remember going to that concert and being so, so cold outside, like you said, right? Right flat iron, right by Italy and stuff. But I remember that afterward, there was a party at the 4040 Club and I had uh, some type of VIP badge for it or something like that. And I was waiting in line and standing in line and kind of it was so cold and all these kids were like running up trying to figure out what was happening and i think eventually i called it quits and sold my vip badge to one of the kids standing in line because they were so excited to try and get inside (laughs) but john John, i want to ask the interesting thing about yeezy or, or, or one of the many interesting things about yeezy and adidas is it kind of changed how mass level these type of partnerships could be and it was one of kanye west's big goals to not have such a limited line like he did at Nike. How hard was that at Adidas or did it take some convincing to really turn it into this gigantic business at the brand? Well, that was, that was definitely the biggest learning curve, right? Like, you know, I mean, I would argue that even, even today people in, in media still struggle with talking about Yeezy for what it is, because it's not a Kanye X brand collab done in a limited capacity, intentionally capped right. or dropped. It's, it's a, it's a brand, not a namesake, you know, it's a different thing. And so, um, to your point, I think that it transformed the way that celebrities look at their own ability to, um, to create a brand. And then obviously with where his thinking has evolved to in modern day, there's this whole like equity position that he's been, you know, messaging for, for years now about being, uh, you know, an owner, not just a player. And so, um, you know, he, uh, he had more of like a hybrid deal, you know, it wasn't like a licensing with like an endorsement or whatever. It was always very clear that he would never appear in marketing and that it would be done from a brand standpoint, um, as a sub brand, like a Y3 versus like a Kanye X Adidas. Then you take it inside and I talk to the product team and they're like, all right, cool. He can have two SKUs. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is not, I mean, like he might only want to make two SKUs, but like, that's not how we're approaching this thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, through, through combos, we all kind of educated each other and got to the right place. But, um, Kanye and Don C in one of our very first meetings where they were talking about like square footage at retail and the ability to generate dollars. Like they, they always approached it from a much more, uh, higher level and, and mature point of view than like maybe what people assumed. You know, they came in like, we want to do this. We want to do numbers. We're not about being capped. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the first 750. I think there were seven total pairs for China. Mm. Like, wow. Yeah. I and mean, that's not going to. Seven pairs? Needle, obviously. I think seven total. That was definitely the first <laughs> time I ever got a 
uh, email from Sarah from Colette. Like Kanye put me on email with Sarah and she's like, John, I got 12 pairs of shoes. This is not enough. You know, like it's it, so it's like the and, and um, actually a funny anecdote about that launch day in New York for that first shoe is that there was a line at the Foot Locker. Yeah, there was a Jordan release and uh, a Yeezy, you know, it was the first ever Yeezy release. And the Foot Locker employee came out and said, hey, I just want to make sure it's clear. The line you're all in is the line for the Yeezy shoe. This is the Jordan line. And everyone's like, no, we're in the right line. Like, this is the, we're, we're in the line we're supposed to be in. And then James Harden showed up and walked right up to the front of the line and bought a pair of 750s. Wow. Which was pretty dope. That's I mean, like, obviously, that was a that was like a different thing that we were all accustomed to. Wex, what was it like in, in that whole early on era when, you know, you're kind of helping manage the relationship with Kanye and the brand and what the brand's doing for the shoes. And then he's going on Twitter and, you know, putting all this information out that may or may not be exactly how the brand wants to communicate the message of his sneakers. Then you kind of having to be the person who moderates all of that. Yeah, that was, that was fun. <laughs> um, there were, there were definitely, there were de- I, have you ever heard that there was definitely some times where I would be on a conference call in my office in Portland and there would be like 30 to 40 people on a conference call in my phone in Germany. And I couldn't like, I couldn't figure out who was calling me what and how severe because everyone was like screaming at me at once. But, um, you know, I, I would say like they burned me in effigy. One time there was this comedian who, uh, who went on the radio and imitate, he was like impersonating Kanye. And he said some very inflammatory stuff, impersonating Kanye. And I remember flying to Germany that next week. And uh, a lot of the people who were maybe, you know, maybe didn't believe in it up front were definitely like ready with their knives out to like attack. And I was like, yo, that was like, not even him. That was literally like a, a comedian, like relax. This is, this is, you know, he's communicating and dog whistle to his audience. He, his people understand everything he says, whether it's coded or over. Right. And um, he has the, the, you know, the, the community of people that we want to be interested in our brand unlock. So as the sort of like the gatekeeper of, of the zeitgeist, you know, there was no question that uh, we had to figure out how to accommodate some of those things. And then obviously it went into like a territory that was like really, really, really controversial um and at that point in time there was there was a lot of conversations back and forth with me and him directly and just just tons of communication like around the clock um and then so it went both directions and uh but yeah he um i mean he's a really inspirational guy but but doesn't believe in half measures so when he's gonna do it he goes all the way uh yeah and uh but but people came supportive obviously we put a whole team around it business around it the early days was uh rachel muscat nick galway arthur hold paul middleman was at some of those first meetings uh, myself and um dirk schoenberger was part of those and herman himself and then eric Licky started getting involved but but yeah it was really rachel and nick and myself um and oh i'm sorry and michelle rainey how could i forget her name the head of development for the team who was like og and uh we would, you know, if we had to fly somewhere to do that meeting, we were going to do it because we. It was like a, it was an honor and a privilege to be working on that business. And from day one, it was just different and special. Wex, you mentioned the retail stores or Kanye West and Doncey thinking about retail. I know there were rumors at one point about Kanye West maybe taking over the old Y three store that was 
downtown in New York. Do you know like why a Yeezy retail Adidas store never panned out? Can you speak to that? Um, I think it was just changes of direction, mindset, design. I mean, there were definitely like plenty of um, combos around it. We just never got there. I mean, I don't think it was like a a thing that that was out of an intent to not do it. I think it just literally was like the the thing on the right. table that was just just out of reach. But I wouldn't be surprised if that got a, a focus now that they have so many silhouettes cooking and you know, this thing with the gap. I'm sure there's a retail combo happening there. Um, and I love the way they announced that thing by taking over the Chicago store. You know, that that big drape that they put over it. Um, but yeah, I would I would be highly shocked if there wasn't a big retail play from them. I have zero uh, context for that now that I'm no longer there. Just saying that as a person right. on the outside looking in. But um, you know, it's a passion of his, and he can control the environment and kind of the. I, I definitely pitched him a bunch of ideas myself that I that I feel like we're 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 very close. We we looked at a bunch of real estate with him that we got very close. Um, looked at a bunch of. Of, of items and props and types of design plans and uh, architects and and all that like plans have been drawn up, but just it just kind of I don't I actually don't know why. Wex, I want to ask. Obviously, yeah. we see every day, every week, the two big brands, Nike and Adidas. How in the thick of it were? How competitive in the thick of it were you guys? Obviously, Kanye releases the song on New Year's and things like that. And and now we look, we fast forward and he's actually getting compared to Jordan sales, like, you know, half of Jordan sales this year or, or whatever. But how in the thick of it, how competitive were you guys? Yeah, it, I think the comparison to Jordan brand comes around just because it's the only similar thing in terms of like hero who who creates a brand that becomes more than just the person it's like the idea mm-hmm. almost is that can that can go anywhere um but i you know sometimes we'd be talking about killing products and other times it was just like we don't even want to think about that so like early on the 350 v1 was was the you know the working title was roche killer like that oh, was like wow and by by working title, I mean, like, he might have said that once or twice. Like, mm-hmm. we need to have a shoe that can go after that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Next. But it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like on a board somewhere, or like shoes in the office. You, you know, um, like at Adidas, you can only wear Adidas. At Nike, you can only wear Nike. But at, at the Easy Office, they, they, they're, you know, it's a different set of, of constraints. And Kanye doesn't ask people to, like, cover a logo with tape if they're wearing the wrong brand or anything like that. Just... You know, I'll never forget Clark Kent came mm-hmm. to Amsterdam with us for a, for a seminar for the Adidas team back in like 2002 for the superstar anniversary. We were having them uh, help us brainstorm some ideas. And um, oh, no, I'm sorry, this might have been 06, 07. But anyway, he, he said to me on that trip, he's like, yo, I just realized you can only wear Adidas. And I was like, yeah, man, I, they pay my check. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's that's the brand I, I play for. And um but obviously when I stopped working there, you know, I have a 16 and 18 year old and like my six year old went out and got a pair of forums, but also went out and got a pair of force ones and blazers. And, you know, she, she's a, she's a consumer. Uh, Wex, how contentious was it between Yeezy and Adidas when all the, you know, at first all the shoes were being kind of 
uh, prototyped and everything in Calabasas at like the private Yeezy compound outside of the Adidas control. I mean, I've heard that some crazy things have ha- happened in the past at there and Adidas kind of forced the Yeezy to, to move out of that Calabasas compound. Like, what was that like in that situation? So, I mean, there was never any like issue with the Calabasas thing. I'm not no? sure. No. I mean, the support of wherever Kanye went to go. I mean, I moved to Cody for nine months. Like that, yeah, that, that the, uh, just like retail, which was always in his agreement, so was the office. So like from day one, there was a there was a notion that we were going to build because Kanye didn't have an office. He didn't have like if you're Stella McCartney or Yoji Yamamoto, you have an atelier. You have all these resources. He had his ideas right. and no one that would support them. So it's a, it a different situation. Like he was like in his, his, his infancy. And if you look at season one, he kind of deconstructed and reconstructed the clothes in a way, almost like he was learning it as he was building it, which is really cool. But um, there was, there was always a us versus, I would say there was a, there was a bit of an us versus them situation that just occurs from proximity and not being together. But I never viewed it as like Adidas forcing them to like work a certain way or go to a certain place. I mean, if anything, Eric took all delivery timelines off Kanye in our very first meeting with him and said, Hey, let's let this thing work to the right level and take the time it needs to make sure it, it, it is incredibly successful and that was you know our intent with kanye was to blow up a business at footlocker kanye's intent with working at us was to blow up a business in sportswear and so we kind of compromised or not compromised but like both accomplished our goals and you know he got season one off the ground Mm -hmm. the baton immediately came after him tried to like bring him over to be their creative director he did all those shows at the foundation um and then that just didn't come together but in that time period we did season one and then he took season two and kind of ran and did that on his own and from that point on was you know a, a proper uh fashion designer and broke down all those walls i mean look at virgil's success totally self-made but but kanye definitely broke through that wall as far as being an african-american fashion designer i think he was the first or, or there's i mean telfar kirby kanye virgil and now more people, but you know, he was definitely part of that wave. Wix, I gotta ask you about Drake. I know that Adidas was trying to sign Drake back in 2018, and I assume that you were a large part of that effort. Can you talk about what happened there? <laughs> he sipped he sipped his tea just now for the that record. Is so funny. That is so funny. <laughs> but wasn't there, um, there was rumors? Why. Tell me what What's you could say, John. I mean, I don't know why I didn't anticipate the Drake combo. Uh, so, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the Drake thing. Uh, there was some, there was some, you know, flirtation back and forth and some meetings, but um, it was just a really interesting situation because obviously, like Adidas set up the playbook for the entertainment marketing piece, and then other people started to do it and started to do it in their own way, and some people had success, some people didn't, but. Um, Drake, you know, we announced Kanye, that Drake announcement coming home or whatever came out that same night. It was like, they, they knew Kanye had left and they were kind of waiting. Um, and then they never really, like, they didn't even do the Jordan six for Toronto all-star. So I was like, that's strange. Right. And just kind of from the outside, like I would have assumed that like, it's a no brainer to me. So I'd assume that there was something happened. And then I started thinking about it. And then Kanye called me and was like, hey, uh, 
you know, me and Drake have been been in the studio a bunch. Like Kanye was flying to Toronto and recording that whole Calabasas is the new Abu Dhabi billboard that came out in that time period. Um, do you remember that? And uh, it was with the 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 Yeezy logo and the and the OVO logo. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, and you know Rihanna was in the studio then and all that. And so um, Kanye was like, "Hey Drake, here's here's the info," and he put me in touch with them. And you know he was he was the one at the front end of that. And then um, I think they were like recording and some stuff together, and 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 it just kind of you know they they were exploring stuff with Adidas but i don't think things were as far along as like the blogs were presenting it and stuff there was a lot of rumors flying around there's a lot a lot of rumors but um yeah it just didn't come together and i think that like you know some people grow up with who they grew up with and i mean that's that's what it is so the the, the whole push it thing wasn't a thing <laughs> so i have a really i have a few funny stories about that I will say the push thing caught me off guard. Um, and I remember calling Future and saying, hey, I just heard this song. There's a bunch of stuff in here that we're not aware of. Mm-hmm. So I just want to like make sure you, everything's okay out there. And um, <laughs> Drake's manager like, Let me Future. Check it and Drake's manager Future. Future the Prince. Yeah. yeah, Future the Prince. Yeah. And Future was like, oh. And, and so I think I was the one who even told them that it happened. Uh, or that that song existed, I should say, but like we were pretty much caught off guard. And um, you know, there's a whole backstory to that that Bush had told on the Joe Budden podcast that, um, you know, that he's got more detail on that than us. But uh, I would I would actually say that by the time that song came out, it was pretty clear that 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 was already kind of not uh, going to happen. Um, but that said, the first time I saw Pusha after that song came out was a week after that at Kanye's birthday party. And he and I push a got there with his <laughs> wife or at the time his fiance. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got there right after them. And, you know, for Kanye stuff, you get there on time because he's always on time. So like I knew to get there on time. So me and Pusha are basically the first people there with Virginia, his wife, Virginia. And, uh, Pusha's like, we hadn't spoken, you know? So it's like, yo, what's up? And I was like, yo, man, my week's been kind of crazy. This one rapper did this diss track on somebody that I was thinking about signing a deal with and it turned my whole week upside down. And he just started cracking up and he's like, Wax, you're fucking crazy, man. And then I, you know, I talked to him and his wife, he invited invite me to his wedding, but his wedding was on the same day as my kids by mitzvah. So like, I couldn't go anyway. So I was like, Virginia, I'm so sorry. Thank you for the invite. Just that. But uh, yeah, I mean, pushes, pushes the man, Drake's the man. Like I, I got love for all those guys. I listen to all their music. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I don't believe you have to hate someone because you like another person or that because someone gets too popular, you have to therefore not like them anymore. Like I've never subscribed to that. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to all their new music and I expect much more uh, sparring in the future. I mean, those guys seem to love tagging each other, but yeah, but the Drake thing, I mean, I I wish it could come together. He, I will say the one meeting I was in with Drake, um, he had some really cool ideas about ways to partner up that I still haven't seen done. And, uh, he was really generous and kind in the meetings with us and, you know, in the meeting, I should say. I was only there with them once. Um, yeah, it just didn't happen. I mean, unfortunate. Wex, you talk about, it's funny that you said, and Kanye, I think, has referenced it, the Roche Killer, which was the 350. In your, Did you ever imagine it would get this big? I still see 
like there's still people who I grew up with who are still trying to get a 350. And when they get the 350, it's like their feeling of locking down that shoe years later. It's like even even for people our age, it's like Christmas when they lock that shoe down and talk about that model, which really I think, guys, I think our first podcast, we, we brought it up that like someone said comparing it to the superstar, how crazy it was. The first complex sneakers podcast we ever did. But yeah. there is something to say how big that shoe got. Yeah, yeah. it was a, definitely the first time I got stopped at an airport. And then from the, I never didn't get stopped again. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I got st- I literally got stopped last night picking up tacos for my kid. Like, yo, that fits crazy. Oh, shit. Those are the easies, you know, yeah. or like. Walking out, walking out of Walgreens, picking up a prescription. Nice, easy, bro. Like, it it never stops. But that that first 350 uh, turtle dove was like you couldn't walk through an airport. You couldn't get four feet. Like you'd be stopped every step, whether it was a person traveling or security or whatever. Um, and yeah, I I I still see those on the shelf today, and I'm like, man, it's pretty crazy. Um, I kind of hope they never go back to that one just to keep it special and on a pedestal, but, um, you know, not there. So don't know their plan. The other thing I want to talk about, we mentioned this in our uh, Slack a couple weeks ago, the Forbes photo, the aerial view. And when he's taking the Forbes writer through the parking lot, there's still a lot of those shoes that look amazing. You could see half of them. You could see the heel. You could see the toe box. There's a lot of shoes that we've never seen still can you speak at all on on those? Yeah, the um, I think that that's what makes him so special is just the attention to detail, the constant iterating, and I mean, if Kanye could, if these shoes were made in a in a in a format where he could tweak a stitch line as they were being put in the box to perfect them even further, he probably would. I mean, these are like pieces of art, and uh, yeah, I man. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy looking back now, but, um, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. I, I, I can't even like get my arms around it sometimes when I think back on it, it's like that really happened. You know, it's like this legacy that'll be here for the, for the, till the end of time in this industry, whether he's with Adidas or he takes it and does it on his own. That's, that's all stuff that I'm not privy to, um, you know, 20 years from now or whatever, but, um, it's just pretty, pretty cool to look back and say, all right, you know, was able to like help put that into a position to be that successful. And Adidas is, is uh, I mean, from what I can tell, it still looks like it's doing really well and all the colors they've been rolling out, you know, it, it's great to see them finally start to um, extend some of the energy from this, from the silhouettes. We don't, I mean, there was what one foam runner color last year and now they're like, yeah, I mean, yeah. starting to hit with them. It's, it's awesome. It's so weird to hear John Wexler talk about Adidas in the past tense. Again, to to think that John <laughs> Wexler is no longer at Adidas. But as, as we've alluded to, you, you left Adidas recently. You're you're now at Shopify. We had a conversation right around the time it happened, and I was like, "John, are you leaving the sneaker world?" And you said, "I'm still in the sneaker world. I'm just in a different part of it." Tell me about making that transition. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely still in the sneaker world. Uh, we are on the precipice of doing something really special over here. And, you know, you referenced the uh, Kobe stuff earlier and, and, and the Mamba Sita stuff that's happening right now is very much aligned to the thinking that, that we have and what I'm trying to do with the, the department that we're uh, 
starting over here, which is to help people own their own businesses independently and, and launch ideas. So most people look at Shopify and say, oh, I need to open a store. I need to do e-commerce. It's obviously critical to all business now. And the growth that Shopify's experienced over the past you know, year has been staggering, obviously. But the part that I'm working on for them is something new, and it actually takes place a step sooner, which is not waiting for people to have the idea they're putting in the store, but going to these uh, celebrities and influencers and people uh, in the zeitgeist who actually influence how people think, hear, see, smell, taste, what have you, and uh, saying, what are you, like, instead of the endorsement relationship that, like, Adidas has with the Kanye or Nike had with mm -hmm. the Kobe, I'm on the same side of the table with creators saying, what's your vision? How can I help facilitate that? Because we have tons of infrastructure that I can apply to this in a similar way that we helped Kanye build Yeezy from an idea. So the, the, um, the chance for us now is to work with these creators to say, what can we do to change the world together? And if you know, 10 to 50 million people don't see it, then we, or 10 million people don't see it, then we kind of didn't do our job. And so stuff, you know, we've been having a series of conversations with a lot of like high level creatives and been gathering all their insights and feedback. And now we're going back out with projects that will sort of uh, bring those ideas to life over the next six months, which is pretty, pretty special. Um, the thing is, though, it's their businesses, right? So it really does seem like an extension of of what Kanye was trying to do. They still have the business, like it's like Kanye Kanye coming to Adidas from Nike. He got more control of the business, and you were part of that. And it's almost like the Shopify thing is giving people more power in in owning their business. I think it's it's exactly that, and I think it's the step he was trying to get to when we were in Cody, which was I want to have my own independence. You know, people uh, start sharing things on social media and they gain a following then once they've gained a following they have the opportunity to start promoting things that brands send them like hey here's a you know a hat or a watch or a pair of shoes or whatever and i was responsible for that at adidas product seeding then those people gain enough of an audience where they can actually start making those products themselves that's kind of like the third step and it's like oh like you guys have a sneaker podcast do you sell sneakers through this podcast no, 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 that's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so <laughs> you guys Let's would be talk. a great Let's person. Talk. To talk. <laughs> exactly. So like, exactly. So like, if you have an audience and you've reached a certain level where you have people coming to check your opinion and you're kind of curating the world for them through the way that you share content, you have people that are like hanging on your every word. They come back to you for the quality and consistency of your work which you guys put in day in, day out with this pod, with your own socials, with the other things you do for the, for the, for the organization. And so then we come in and say, hey, what, what can we do together to kind of help you blossom into an independent business owner? And that's the real freedom. That's when Kanye really struck it. That's where people want to get to is when they, you know, you look at that billionaire list, Kanye didn't get there because of music. Kanye got there because of his entrepreneurial, you know, ambition. And also Jay-Z with all the stuff he's doing entrepreneurially, obviously. Like it's it's the music fuels it, but that's not where the money comes from. The money comes from the entrepreneurial ideas they put around it. And so we're, you know, and that's just music. Obviously, there's YouTube, which is like driving culture and all these other um, social media platforms that are opening up. And um yeah, it's fun. Like, like I think that when I when I, as soon as I saw the the word go out on the streets about about Vanessa want the or the, the Nike and Vanessa thing going separate ways, 
or Kobe thing going different ways. I was like, I got to get a hold of Vanessa. She's thinking the same way we are. Like, I, and then two days later, that stuff rolled mm-hmm. out, and I was like, oh, I missed it, you know. And that that was like a failure, in my opinion, on my part. But you know, learn and and try to anticipate things. Wex, before we go, I just want to ask you. Um, I think w- one of the things we've connected on over the years is that you're you're genuinely a fan of Adidas in the in the archive, not just the guy who worked there, just a huge Adidas guy as a whole. But post Kanye, the first pair of sneakers or non Adidas sneakers that you wore, Stussy Air Force Ones, switching it up. What was it like to put the checks on your feet after? The whole ride. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, they after uh, to- eighteen years, they, they, they were comfy. Um, <laughs> you know what's funny? So, Nike sent me a box, which I am super appreciative of. And honestly, it was a really nice box. It had all the Nike considered stuff in it, which is a man of my age and habits. Like that's more for me. And uh, and then the fact that they threw in those blue—I'm sorry—the black Stussy Air Force Ones. Like Stussy used to see me clothing in the nineties and early two thousands. Like that's, that's like part of me. So I was like, Holy shit, Paul Middleman, either these guys did their research or they just like blindly hit me with like the most perfect stuff they could have sent. But it was a really nice box. And I, you know, I wanted to reciprocate with my appreciation for them sending me that. And to be honest, Adidas doesn't send me stuff. So, um, you know, Maybe I still get Adidas shoes, but they're not coming from the brand. Well, actually, that's unfair. That's unfair. This week, I got a pair from Adidas South Korea that came to me through the team. Okay. Like they they want to send you these. Uh, I just got back here from Chicago. I was in Chicago for the last two weeks. But um, yeah, but people send you stuff. If if it's in your wheelhouse, you should post it. Or you know, they stop sending. Did the Stussy Air Force Ones come with the note? We heard you're uh, a free agent or what? I think it was some trolling <laughs> involved. But like the, uh, you know, Salehi was actually the one who who sent me my first pair of non-Adidas. They were oh, the uh, yeah. Anta, the awesome. shoes he did with them. Um, yeah, and they were really amazing. Uh, Love those. And Salehi's funny, man. You know, I've known Salehi since when he was in the DD-172 office in 2007. And then reconnected with them when Dame Dash was a designer in 2000 yeah Dame and then um because did a lot of stuff I did a lot of stuff with Dame back in in, in that era and um but yeah Salehi was one of the interns there and uh those uh the, the quality control guys were in the office then the guys that just sold the Netflix stock of Kanye and um and then Salehi got hired by Kanye and his whole way of creating was really captivating and he was part of the V2 mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. And honestly, you know, Stephen Smith definitely designed that 451. And I know he had a sketch of, or 450 as it's called now. But I, and I know he had a sketch of that shoe in his book. But the first time I saw that was as a clay molding. And it was by Salehi. And I don't even know if Stephen was privy to that or they just both arrived at the design themselves, like independently. Because Stephen didn't enter the equation for another four to six months, maybe a year. That was like pre-Stephen Smith. That yeah. So... Wex, did you, before you left, did you have any overlap with Jerry Lorenzo coming in? Uh, so, yes and no. Uh, so, uh, Jerry, you know, obviously Chicago dude, love mm-hmm. Jerry, he's the man. And he was like, at Yeezy season two, when Kanye was wearing the the, the Ultra Boost with the purple heel, mm-hmm. um, 
that like Jerry was instrumental in, in, in all the looks, like everything. And so Jerry's dope. I know you guys are friends with Jerry too. Yes. And so I had heard through the grapevine that things were not so great or that maybe things had ended. I'm not quite sure what the status was. You know, you never know what you can really trust, but, um, Jerry, I called him and, uh, I was like, Hey, I think it was Thanksgiving a year ago. And I was like, Hey, there's, there's some rumblings. Can we talk? And he was like, well, you know, let's, let's take it slow. All good. And then he and I reconnected around, I think I was in March last year. And, uh, but that whole thing materialized once I was out the door. Got it. Got it. Like it, like, yeah, it was just like some initial discussions, but it wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't in the room. That was all, uh, Jen and Dion and Kate. Well, Wex, we can't thank you enough for lending us your time. We're excited to see what you're going to do at Shopify. We've known you for so long throughout the years and, and you have a legacy at Adidas with Yeezy that is unmatched. So thank you so much. Always good chopping it up with you. Hope to see you in person very soon. Likewise. Thanks again for your time, guys. Thanks, Appreciate Marks. it. This has been the Complex Sneakers Podcast. We will see you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Like, subscribe. See you soon. Our producer is Dave Matthews. Our associate producer is Jasmine Plata. Sound engineering done by Kyle Garvey. Special thanks to Jen Stewart and Shiva Bayet. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network. Complex Sneakers.